welcome to the Mason Jar Podcast. I'm Karen Kern, and I'll be your host for this series of eight podcasts called Education is a Life, Creating Purposeful Culture in Your Home. And today I'm joined by two dear friends, Heidi White and Emily Hill of beautiful Colorado Springs. Hello, ladies. Hi, Karen. Hey so fun to be here. Hi, Emily. Hi, Heidi. So um, most of you are probably familiar with Heidi from listening to Close Reads and all of the other things that she does on podcasts and around the Cersei world. And Emily might be a little less known, but she does do some wonderful work with us. She helped with our Kindred Conference um, last week in Colorado. Thank you to both of you for that. And um, she attends conferences and she's just a dear friend of all things Cersei as well. And so I'm going to have... Heidi, introduce Emily to you first, and then Emily, you just tell us a few things about Heidi as well. So I'm so excited about whatever Emily's going to say about me. It's going to be so exciting. <laughs> I'm excited about that too, actually. <laughs> well, I am so thrilled to be able to introduce to the wider world my dear, dear friend, Emily, uh, who is my partner in crime and classical education. So Emily is the founder and director of the Journey School which is a hybrid classical school in Colorado Springs. So she has a heart for classical education that's almost unparalleled, which is why we're such good friends with Cersei, because we, we have similar visions, um, maybe even exactly the same. <laughs> uh, but she is just an incredible friend and mother. She's got four amazing kids, and she advocates for classical education in Colorado Springs and beyond. And she lives Gives it out every day in her life, in her parenting, and in the way she organizes her school. Our kids have grown up together and had many adventures, and we've traveled together. And uh, so, anyway, she's just darling and very, very close to me. And I can't wait for you all to meet her. So, Emily. Well, Karen suggested I give all sorts of secrets away about Heidi. So, I've been kind of thinking <laughs> of what wonderful things I could say about her. Um, we met. I don't know, six years ago or so through classical education. And it only took about three seconds to become dear, dear friends. And as Heidi said, we've partnered in so many different things. And Heidi has just been um, an integral part of my motherhood, of my marriage, of homeschooling my children. I, you know, when you meet a friend and you think you are going to shape the course of my life, and that is what Heidi has done. And as she said, our children have a just a bond that I haven't seen in other places. And in fact, right now they are off wandering somewhere down at a creek, getting super muddy, even though I asked them not to get too muddy, but it's going to happen. And just over the years, just watching the friendship grow and watching Heidi's, um, even through close reads and just the opportunities she's had, uh, just watching um, her grow and her love of classical education. It's just what a gift it is to know her. Right. And then well, along I, with Karen, we're like the three musketeers. I, know. I was just going to say, <laughs> what a blessing it is to know both of you and to have you in my circle of dearest and closest friends. And I felt the same way when I met both of you. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to um, pilot this first episode of the of the podcast here with me. And I couldn't imagine talking to anybody else but you two for this. And um, let's just jump right in. So I called this series, Education is a Life, 
creating purposeful culture in your home. And of course, that's a line from Charlotte Mason, the education is a life. And I, I was striving to find the idea that education isn't just something that we receive from a curriculum, a box of curriculum, or a textbook, or it's not just something that happens in the four walls of a classroom, but it's a life and it starts when we're born and we're still living it when we're old and that it it comes it comes from something well true education is something that speaks to our very soul and changes us and so that's kind of why i i took that title but we're also going to talk about some ways that we can um enrich or nurture the culture in our home. And so that's what I want to jump into right here with you two. And and I'm going to ask you this question. Um, What is culture? When we talk about culture in in a country or when we talk about culture in a family, what are we talking about? What makes something, what, what gives something a culture? I will take a shot at that. So a culture is an atmosphere in which we form in which we we are formed by our surroundings so in our homes we try to have say a culture of learning um a culture of kindness all these things that we value and desire to be formational to our souls uh in in becoming who we believe that God has called us to be. That is the culture that we create in our homes. And then of course, there's a there's an element of culture which we can't control, the wider culture, the surrounding culture, the culture that comes at us through media and uh, um, et cetera. You know, we can't necessarily control that. But when we go within the walls of our home, then we have uh, the the power to be formed by and in turn form that culture, that atmosphere in which we move and breathe and have our being and the way we speak to each other, the kind the way we eat our food, the way we um, that we organize our time and our homeschooling and um, our social lives and all that kind of thing. Uh, that's that's the culture. Well, and as Heidi said, there are there are layers of culture. And when we think of our own involvement in culture, if we think about the broader overview of the culture of a nation or even a culture of a world, what does it mean to be human? That's uh, that's a broad overview of the, the, the 7 billion people culture. And then it's narrowed down. And then there's a passive and there's an active involvement um, at, on a national level. How do we affect the culture that's a really big question and a little bit different question than how do we affect the culture of our home? And culture is not just, it's not just the place and people in a certain demographic, whether it's our home or our church, but it is a purposeful thing in the choices we make every day, whether it's us, our children, our husband, all of those things actively create a culture. And I love this. So culture and cultivate, if you think about it, they come from the same word. It's a Latin word. And so culture and cultivate, it means to tend, to till, like to till the earth, right? There's a very agrarian image here that is really lovely. And it also means to guard. And that kind of got the wheels turning a little bit. What do you guys think of that? Like to guard a culture? Huh. 
I really love that. I think that um, the agrarian image caught my eye or caught my ear a lot. That idea of if you plant something and you nurture it and you see it grow, but it takes a long time um, to cultivate, right? There's that word again, to bring something to being into fruitfulness and flourishing that starts out as a single seed. And I think for all three of us, over the years that we've known each other, that's what we've talked about more than anything else with our children is we have responsibility for these homes in which our children are raised, this culture, this uh, this atmosphere in which they will flourish. Um, and but, but it's a process, it's an agrarian process. It's something when you plant a tiny seed and you don't see how it's going to turn out and then you tend, you tend it and lovingly care for it and, and, and you see that turn into uh, something life-giving and blossoming and flourishing. Um, that, that's awesome. I, I, I just caught when you said um, you don't know what it's going to be, right? So we, we, you know, when I plant seeds in my garden, I know, oh, I, I hope if I plant a carrot seed, I'm going to get a carrot unless the rabbit eats it because I didn't guard it. But when it comes to my children, I really, I really have no idea. It, it's so, it's so complex. I really have no idea what they're going to grow up to do, but I hope that I have an idea of what they're going to grow up to be. And, you know, I look at my kids, they're, they're a dancer, a teacher, of course, you know, they, they love to cook, a counselor, an artist, but the flourishing, the flourishing caused that to happen, but I also feel like I was trying to control the kinds of people they were in relation to their character. Right. And so I think that there's guarding, there's guarding going on there as there should be, right? Well, and isn't that the image that Jesus has used about the, the wolves and the, the wolves and the sheep, right? That you build walls around what you love um, so that it will not be invaded by the enemy. And there will come, you know, Karen, you're in the stage of parenting in which in some ways they have gone out amongst the wolves, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, Because they have the resources that they need in order to, you know, build their own culture and tend and cause and make that grow because you have adult children. Uh, Emily and I, our children are younger. They're not very, very young anymore. They're in the middle years, but it is still our responsibility to cultivate, to tend, to care for and nurture as well as to guard and protect. Right. I, um, when I was doing a little reading for this podcast, I came across some information where I found out that Cicero, where he wrote of cultivation of the soul or cultura animi, he used the agricultural metaphor for the development of the soul understood as the highest possible ideal for human development. Hmm. And and then I saw somebody else, he said that Samuel, somebody named Samuel Pufendorf used the metaphor. Can you say that name again, please? Samuel Samuel Pufendorf. Don't you know any Pufendorfs? (laughs) Samuel Pufendorf. (laughs) He used the metaphor, the same, of course, cultural metaphor to refer to all the ways in which human beings overcome their original barbarism Hmm. to become fully human. Huh. 
So you can easily see how that is used when it comes to creating culture in a nation or a group of people. But it also happens in our family. And even when you use that word in a little bit of a different sense, if we talk about a cultured person, it is someone who has overcome their barbarism in some ways. That's how we're referring to it. So you can see the connection there in a created culture. A cultured person is someone who has put off the old man, taken on the new man. You can, you can see that imagery there. That's good. I like that a lot. That's what we want our children to do, right? They're, when they're toddlers, they're little barbarians to some degree. <laughs> That's true. And we, we want to culture them so that they know what to do at the table and what to do in a restaurant or in public. Right. Um, and, then, and then I also read something by a philosopher um, named Edward Casey, and um, he said that culture is a place, the very word culture means place tilled. Huh. To be cultural is to inhabit a place sufficiently to be responsible, to respond to it, to attend to it caringly. So there we are back to the idea of guarding. Right. Guarding and caring and nurturing. So, so from there, let's talk about this for a moment. Does it arise unconsciously? Or can culture be created? As we, you know, I, when I chose the title, I was thinking creating purposeful culture. So I'm going to assume that there is culture that we can choose to give our children, to, to put them in a place, to provide a home that's going to nurture what we, what we long for them to be. But also, it seems to also arise unconsciously too. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. And I'm really glad you said that because I've been kind of mulling over that a lot, especially as homeschool moms. We are so, we are so purposeful and so intentional. In fact, in choosing to homeschool, we made a conscious decision to do something countercultural. This is not the norm and the, the small everyday choices we make for our children um, do not fit into the broad culture of our nation in many ways. So we are purposefully and consciously choosing um, a, a path in order to protect these young plants, right? To grow them up. And yet I've actually been thinking on the other side more, what am I doing unconsciously that sets the culture of my home. And I've really seen this. Um, my oldest is you know, one second away from being 14. And as the days have shifted into the teen years, I've seen so much of the choices I have made unconsciously um, in, in keeping up a relationship with him or overseeing his schoolwork or what he's allowed to do or not do. And this trickles down even to my younger children as well. A lot of it is unconscious and, you know, I'd love to hear what y'all think about this and stems from what I already have going on inside me. Um, it, it, it comes from what's important to me. What do I love? What have I fed myself with that now in any given situation is going to come out of me? Right. Right. Mm. I agree with that. And I, I think also some of that is the culture within the larger world, the culture outside of our home, right? <laughs> because 
that's that's an unconscious thing that we absorb more or less than we mean to. You know, for example, in our home, there's this constant conversation about technology, right? Like how much can I get an iPhone? Can I play Fortnite? Can we do all of these things? Right. And every and and to your point, Emily, every family makes those decisions about what to do with the why in the within the wild, the wider cultural moment based on kind of the culture within ourselves, right? Depending on, you know, we look at some a decision like can a, can I almost thirteen year old son get an iPhone, right? His and I and I'll think to myself, I don't want the negative cultural influences, but at the same time, these these children are growing up in this world at this time, and so what do I do with that based on these other things that I value? And so. Um, that there is an element of unconscious culture, certainly. But then I think once we become aware of that, once the, once we know that we're making decisions based on something subconscious that we weren't fully aware of, at that point, then we have to make a decision on what to do with it. And that's when you come to uh, the conversations about wisdom and virtue that we talk a lot about at the Circe Institute that I'm sure will be major concerns on this show as homeschooling moms when we talk about, now that I know, what do I do with that? How do I bring that into under the umbrella of the culture of human flourishing that I am intentionally cultivating within our home that may or may not be countercultural? And that's really up to you. It's really up to every mother to make those decisions. And some of them are objective and some of them are going to be subjective. So sometimes my family, well, most of all the time, I suppose, my family's culture is going to be different from your family's culture in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what do I what do I do when I recognize that I don't like something about my family's culture? Right. You know, what 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 do we call a family meeting and say, hey, so I went over to Emily Hill's house and I really like how they do XYZ and I think we should do that too. You know, is that It's just, I think as homeschooling mothers and many of us are type A, we get another idea that, oh, we we should be doing this. We should be doing this. And so we, we go after that. So we, it seems like we need to, we need to be able to say, well, no, your family's not our family. We have this culture and that's okay. But it seems like it can be something that that causes a lot of stress. <laughs> you think about it. You could say that again. Don't you think that homeschooling moms, and we are, we are all three homeschooling mothers or have been homeschooling moms, are do tend to have that undercurrent of anxiety and comparison. I, I'm sure that there are some of y'all who are free from that, but I'm not. Right. Like I've, I feel that all the time, that sense of, you know, I, I come over, I go over to someone's house and they're doing something that I never thought of or, or something that I did think of and I'm doing poorly at and they're, you know, doing a great job. And, um, or I go to conferences and I get these fantastic ideas and, and I just want to do all of it. I want to do all of it. I want my family culture to be absolutely pristine and perfect and well organized and, ideal and instead I am eating peanut butter out of the jar at 3 p.m. crying in my yoga pants because my day got away from me and I was going to be perfect today. So uh, (laughs) I think that that is part of, probably part of 
the culture of many homeschooling families is that sense of anxiety or perfectionism. And, and we do need to talk about how to address that. I think a question of culture is, I think it's much more important for the culture of a home to be um, at peace at peace and confident in itself rather than full of anxiety because that can become a thread in a homeschooling family's culture. And I would say that culture is created consciously and unconsciously out of two things, the things that we love, like our, our longings for our family, the things we desire from the things that we love. And then perhaps the, the broken flip side of that is our fears Yes, I agree. If you have a chance to listen to Heidi's talk from the Kindred Conference this past week, um, download that recording and listen to it. It was such an encouragement to me and and a reminder that that we have to do something with this fear that arises. And I would say homeschool moms are some of the most fearful people, myself included. Mm -hmm. Me too. (laughs) And, And what you that fear actually creates a culture. Yes. But our loves equally create a culture. And then there will always be a tension between those two on this side of glory. Um, there are those threads that run next to each other somehow. Um, and yet, as, as y'all are saying, to ask yourself, what is my family? What has God called my family to? And Heidi, you remember just last week we were talking about this in a conversation of who is the man I am married to? Who are the children God has given me? What are the giftings mm-hmm. I have? Um, like Heidi and I are very, very different from each other. We've been given very different giftings, different children. And over the years, those conversations have just been fleshed out of what does it look like to for our home to flourish within a context of a community, yes. Um, But what words am I speaking to my children that say, and myself, that say, this is who I am. And for our own family, these are actual literal words that we speak. We'll say, like, remember who we are. And we'll say, well, we are courageous and kind. That's two of like the major tenets of our home. Like we are courageous and we are kind. And it's kind of a combination of both my husband and I and kind of our makeup and what we love. And that's something to sit down as a family and say, well, who are we? Maybe we're not like the whites. Maybe we're not like the Kearns. Yes, we should all be growing in virtue, but what does that look like? And allow the confidence to grow in that. Right. I, I, I love that idea of sitting down with your kids and saying, who are we? I, I would be so fascinating by, fascinated by the answers that I might have gotten years ago or what I might get now. I don't know. And um, some of them from your you know, nine-year-old, you might just throw out. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but that's a, that's a great, it's a great question and a great starting point because I think that it's a worthwhile exercise to talk about your culture, your family's culture with your family. And in that way, your children can um, be part of a discussion that's really very important and kind of take ownership of that and maybe get thinking themselves of 
you know, what, what are, what characterizes our family? Do we really want to be characterized by the family who plays video games right. all the time? You know, and, and maybe instead of it being a lecture, it would be a conversation of who are we and where do we want to be? And what could we change if we could change something about us? You know, one of the other things that we did a couple of years ago, and it it turned into a fascinating conversation. Um, It just came up over the dinner table. We asked our kids, hey, when you think of mom and dad, what's like a phrase or word that kind of embodies what's important to us and what matters to us? And you might want to be careful in this because you never know what you're going to get with kids Mm because they are going to tell you exactly. but it was actually so good for us to say, this is how our children see our family. And it might be different than the way I see our family culture. So like bringing them in and letting them participate in, in the life of the family. And if you, have a, if you have a number of children, you might get very different answers. And the oldest child might have a very different answer than hmm. the baby of the family. Right. Uh, and so you have to be prepared for that and maybe a little disagreement or, you know, and maybe, maybe not disagreement, but maybe just discussion of how they perceive things in the family differently. Right. I think that's true. Culture. Well, and so yeah. much of culture is in many ways morally neutral, meaning that, you know, for example, and I'm going to give you an example of this. One of the big things that we value in our home intentionally is travel. We love to travel together. My husband travels for work. And so this was when we first had children, very utilitarian. We wanted to stay together as a family. And so we just went with Scott, would go on a trip for, you know, sometimes for a couple of weeks, sometimes up to a month or even a few months. And rather than be left alone at home with babies, we'd just bring the kids. We'd scrimp and we had no money. We were just like every other family. We'd scrimp and save and we'd not do Christmas presents so that we could buy plane tickets and we would travel as a family. And we'd just bring the kids with us. And it was very inconvenient uh, to you know, take kids on planes and uh, feed toddlers in strange countries and all those kinds of things. But it was something that we wanted to be a part of our family culture. And we were intentional about that. And we continue that today. But like I said, that's a morally neutral thing. Like some families say, I intentionally don't want to travel. I want our kids to remember just being at home, spending our summers at home, being together and, and, and not displacing my children. You know, so there's, there's different ways to create culture that are not all just, you know, based on some kind of high moral ideal. And that's what kind of gives every family its, its, its different flavor and helps us to learn from each other as we make friends and, um, and that kind of thing. And I think that's just a delightful part of creating a culture is making decisions on some of those things that, that don't have that like heavy moral weight to it. Right, because we all have different resources and we have different giftings. Exactly. And um, different desires. And and that kind of takes me back to this idea that, that um, Emily, you mentioned, the things that we love, because I think that there's a, a connection between the word culture and worship. And um, I, I think that the things that we worship are going to bubble up to the top you know, mm-hmm. in a cauldron and, and we're going to see those things and the things that we worship, whether those things are 
worthy of being worshipped or not. We're going to see them and then we need to evaluate, are these things worthy of being worshipped this much? You know, I think of maybe video games or, right. you know, things that are questionable. I don't know. I'm not saying video games are dumb because or bad because we have them in our house um, and have for a while. But but I think it's it just pause, gives us pause to think about that, to evaluate that. Right. You know, are these things worthy to be caught to say that we love them? Right. And right. recognizing that culture in the when you associate it with the word cultivate, you see this is a long process. So when I use the terminology, the culture of my home, this is not something that began um, at our marriage or the birth of our first child and the culture is set and this is what it is like, um, which praise be to God that that's not true. Um, And he gives us mercy to grow as we tend, as we nourish and which is why we educate our children, right? We're drawing them up. They're not born with all of um, the graces just inset in them in perfection. And so if the task of learning is to learn to love what should be loved, that's, that, that's a process in that. And it's something that we're, we're growing in each day. And so that's why we have to ask ourselves, well, what should I love? So if I say, I want our home to have a culture of uh, prayer and thanksgiving, then I have to look at myself and my family and say, well, what would that look like? Do we pray? Do we give thanks? Is there some action associated with um, kind of our, our hope for the culture of our family? And as Heidi said, that that could be simpler things that are not um, like our philosophy of education or our theology. It could be small things. And in our home, um, creativities, just this is a really important aspect of our home. So that would be making sure we always have plenty of raw materials and time for my kids to just, I don't know, cut up a million scraps of paper and leave it all over the house. Um, which I did really enjoy that. <laughs> I got to stay at Emily's house this weekend and I did love that. All the girls and um, Lucy was there too. And all the girls just gathering around the table with, with beautiful paper and a glue gun. And they showed me how to make origami butterflies and they made bookmarks. And it just, it, it was, it was just something that obviously happens all the time. And it's just very natural and it's, it's soul nourishing to them in their community with each other and in what they're in what they're doing. I was beautiful. I'm not sure that that you know cutting up paper was ever thought to be beautiful at my house, but it was definitely <laughs> beautiful at your house. <laughs> Which I think to that point I would just then insert my own um how much community is important because we don't really do that at my house. When I do, I'm doing it in imitation of Emily because I've learned from her, but I'm not a crafty person. I'm creative in other ways. So that's something that I've learned in community. And that's something my children learn in community over here at the Hills house. And then at my house, we do different things that they just really love. My, My kids are always just outside all the time and we're reading books. Books are a huge and very, very, very important part of our family culture. It's same as it is at Emily's house too. Um, and 
And then food is a big part of, um, and hospitality. You know, there's just these different things that different families value. And when we're in community with other people, um, then we get to be kind of absorbed and integrated into that particular culture as well as our own without feeling... And I really just don't feel like I have to be just like Emily. I have to have all these... I just say, why don't you go over to Emily's house and do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's the great thing yeah, about family friends, go to right? Emily's house and she can do your hair because I <laughs> do not have a culture of hair. So <laughs> if, I, if I had my druthers, if I could, I certainly would. But I... That's part of that that question of, of 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 the peaceful home too, the home that isn't always striving to be like everybody else's home. Um, right. And I think that takes a lot of discernment when you experience a community with people who have a different family culture. Like I could panic and say, "Oh no, I need to get craft stuff into my house all the time, and we need to be making bookmarks every day." And I don't even know where to buy a glue gun. You know, like these are the. I, I could take that as a failure on my part to bring that into our family culture. Or I could say, actually, the thing that's super important about my family culture is that we are at peace. And I know that I have community with people who do that. Or that's just not something I have room for right now. And that has to do with a culture then of discernment and also of repentance. Right. And I think that's a huge, huge thing that is really important for homeschooling moms to be um to be discerning about what is needful, like a, a prayer and thanksgiving are needful. Crafting may not be, right? Right. And but that's a good thing, but we can't have every single thing. Sometimes it's okay to do that somewhere else and to be discerning. But then when, 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 when we do need to make changes to be truly repentant and cultivate that then within the family culture when it, when we need to. Right. I I love that you um, talked about your own personal, personal things in your family's culture, like your books and Mm -hmm. your craftiness and hospitality and um, food. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a whole episode on um, the role of food and hospitality and tradition and how that all goes together in in helping to nurture families' culture. Um, And I, I, I think it's so important what you talked about. I don't know if you use these words, but came into my mind when you're talking that there should be an atmosphere of grace, Hmm. you know, between family, family to family. Oh, your, your family does, um, you know, um, video games or whatever. And our family doesn't, we don't even have a TV or whatever, or you, you watch movies. We don't, those, those kinds of things that that's not really what's important about at all. It's, you know, it's that we give each other grace. And that when we see something particular in our lives, that we repent and make a change. Right. Like, Emily used the example, do we want to be a family who prays? Well, then we need to pray. That's right. And um, because we can aspire to these things, and then we need to realize, I'm aspiring to this, and I can, with some effort, I can do this. If it's if it's something that I, that I love, that I love the idea of, and that I really want to love, then I can pursue that with my, with my family. But that's so important. What you just said there that you, you have to set yourself to the task and say, this is, it is actually going to be 
a lot of work. My, um, my husband's grandfather and uncle are farmers in Virginia. And so every year we head out to the farm and they farm peanuts and corn. And, and every time I'm out there, I always am overwhelmed by the massive amount of work farming is. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing to see all of the steps and energy and process that goes into planting and watering and harvesting. And when we use those metaphorically, when we use those agrarian terms, it just sounds so beautiful. Just getting your hands in the dirt and planting these seeds. But when you make it out to a farm and and their whole life is tied to, is it going to rain? Is it going to not rain? Is there going to be a drought? Is it going to over rain? Are we going to get the harvest in? Um, That's their whole life. And if you've ever seen a farmer come in from the field, they're they're dirty and sweaty and worn out. I think that's our work. That's the metaphor continued. It is, it's, it's a dirty, sweaty work. And to care and nourish these souls. It is an actual practical work. What am I going to do when I'm going the the wording create a culture? Like you're making something with your hands. You're you're actually creating something. Just like my girls were creating origami butterflies. If you're going to create a culture, it's something that you're going to do. Right. And then you say, well what does that look like? What should I do? And I mean, there are actual answers to that. There are things that you should do. And Mm -hmm. like I said, it looks different on some things for every family, but there are some things for those of us who are um, image bearers of the creator. There are some things that all of us should do. And it, you're right. It may be a lot of work, but this is actually the glorious task that as homeschool moms were given. Like this is a, a task we're gifted with. Right. That's right. And trust, yeah, and trusted with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that that kind of um I think that's probably a, a really good place to end this discussion today because um next time we're going to be talking about um, how our faith informs our culture or is, is nurtured in our culture and the role that faith plays in that. And um, I love that you said, the way you said that we're image bearers and our children are image bearers. We want them to flourish and it's our responsibility to give them a place to flourish and to create a culture for them to be flourishing within. Yeah. And so I want to thank you both for giving up your time in beautiful Colorado. You could be outside, I'm sure, doing something lovely. And I know that um, Heidi, just right before we we recorded this, she was doing close reads. So she barely had a moment before we jumped into this. And I just appreciate talking to both of you and um, hope to have both of you on again. Um, and the next seven episodes that we have left of this and I want to glean more from you and I know that our listeners will too oh thank you Karen thanks for having us so much thank you for being here love to you both oh and to you Karen love you so dearly bye-bye bye